I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to my Father's Day sermon, The Needs of a Father, in which my point is that a good marriage is a prerequisite for good parenting, and a good marriage is the joining of two minds, bodies, souls, spirits, hopes, dreams, needs, personalities, and two very different genders into one entity. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. June 21st, 2009, our lesson for this morning are the needs of a father. The text is in, in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 6 through 9, which says this. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. God bless the reading of his word, and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this message today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, in God's divine economy, before a man can be a father, he must first be a husband. God plans for our marriages to be our primary relationships, while parenting is secondary to marriage. This is because children are best raised by two loving parents of the opposite gender working together to create a stable family environment. Parenting is a cooperative venture by design, with the husband and the wife each bringing their gender strength to the environment. So a good marriage is a prerequisite for good parenting, and a good marriage is created by mutual cooperation and respect between husband and wife. In a particular marital counseling session, a husband and wife each tried to recruit the counselor to side with them as they complain and blame one another for their unhappiness. The counselor listened to them and then said slowly, I have a question for each of you, and I do not want you to speak again until you are ready to answer my question. Sir, what do you do to make your wife feel like a woman? And ma'am, what do you do to make your husband feel like a man? The couple just stared at the counselor, speechless. 
The counselor asked the question again, insisting that they answer despite their resistance to the question. And as the counselor reiterated that there would be no further discussion until they answered the question that he asked, the woman began to cry softly and the man looked deflated. Just moments before, they were both loud and angry, but during the last 15 minutes of the counseling session with this question on the table, neither of them had anything left to say to the counselor or to each other. Our text for today, Matthew chapter 10, verse 6 through 9, tells us from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, marriage is a prerequisite for fatherhood, but marriage is not a business arrangement of co-workers or co-owners. A marriage is the joining of two individuals, mind, body, soul, spirit, hopes, dreams, needs, personalities, and two very different genders into one entity. Let me repeat that. A marriage is the joining of two individuals, mind, body, soul, spirit, hopes, dreams, needs, personalities, and two very different genders into one entity. The very different genders is the part of that statement that we need to understand. The unisex heresy is one of the most pernicious falsehoods that the adversary has ever spread in the world. Men and women are, by the design of God, actually very different creatures, anatomically, biologically, and psychologically, and people of each gender can best enjoy life and love by recognizing those differences and then reveling in them with awe and respect. There's a huge difference between a mother and a father by the design of God. When a boy is born, he looks to his mother for his very life. He spent nine months inside of his mother with her bodily functions, providing him with the nutrients that he needed to develop. After she physically pushed him out into the world, he looks to his mother for another year or so to provide him with sustenance from her breasts. And then during his childhood, he looks to his mother to provide him with his primary companionship as he learns about the world. An infant boy's favorite place is, his, is in his mother's arms or on his mother's lap. But our fathers provide us a different perspective on life. If we skin our knees playing ball and tell mom about it, mom kisses our knee and her loving administration to us takes the pain away, both emotional and physical. But the role of a father is different. If we tell dad about it, dad would check to see if we were seriously injured and if not, tell us to stop crying and then ask us if we made the play. Fathers are not mothers. Karen called her counselor to discuss a problem that she and her family were having with her husband. Karen began, my husband recently became Mr. Mom. I've been a stay-at-home mom for the last three years, but now I've had a full-time job for two weeks. My husband's business has not done well for the last four months, and we decided that I would go back to work. He works from home, 
So it's no problem for him to take the kids to and from school to doctor's appointments, soccer practice, and all that. So he's been Mr. Mom, and he's really great at it. He's a good cook. He does the grocery shopping, all that. For me, it's been a vacation for the last two weeks being at work. But my two oldest kids came to me separately, and they broke down crying. They said, Mom, it's been so terrible since you started going to work. Dad just picks us up and then drops us off. When we get home, he just goes in his room and he's doing work on the computer. You know, he doesn't welcome us when we get home or anything. We miss you, Mom. They just kind of fell apart. They don't want to talk to their dad about it because they're afraid. Karen said the counselor, first of all, your husband is not Mr. Mom. Your husband is a man working from home. He leaves work to go pick up the kids and either bring them home or drop them somewhere. When he gets back home, he goes back to work. He's not a mom. He's a man. Now, in the animal kingdom, you never see a male animal pick up the babies by the scruff of the neck unless he is going to eat them. The mothers are the ones that pick up the babies by the scruff of the neck to move them or to protect them. There are differences between mothers and fathers, and he's acting like a father. He thinks, I picked him up, I brought them home, and now I have to get back to work. Your husband may shop and cook because these are tasks that he can stop working to accomplish. But he can't stop work to take care of the kids because taking care of kids requires a different type of attention. Men can be very focused when they are working or concentrating on something, and men generally don't have the radar for all the things going on around them that women do. What he can do is pick up the kids and drop off the kids because these are tasks. But then he has to go back to work. He's not being Mr. Mom because he is still at work. He just happens to be working from home. So there is nobody at your house taking care of your kids and making your house a home. That's what you did because you're a woman. Women nest and kiss the kids, hug the kids, and are physically affectionate with the kids. Women pick up their children by the scruff of the neck, not really, but you understand what I'm saying, and take care of them. So what your kids are really saying is that they are missing their mommy. It's not that dad is bad or needs to change, but that they are missing their mommy. Children need the polarity of the two parents. Children need a mommy that to go to that will comfort them when they have hurt feelings. And children need a dad to go to when they need someone to tell them to get in gear and to tell them the hard things about life that they need to know. See how your kids came to you with their emotional problem and didn't want to go to dad? The reason that children have two parents by design is that they need one for some things and one for others. And this difference between men and women is the reason for the emotional difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day. Mother's Day is hearts and flowers because children instinctively seek and respond to their mother's love. Father's Day is a handshake and a power tool because children learn to gain their father's respect. It's not that fathers are less caring than mothers, it's that God's design for fathers is different than his design for mothers. God knows that children need someone to support them emotionally, 
but children also need someone to correct them when they fail to act appropriately. Children need a parent that will not take their side in a fight with authority, but will command them to get into gear and do the right thing. Now, I mention these facts because since the 1980s, marriage and fatherhood have fallen on hard times. The divorce and illegitimacy rates have increased in our society, and participation in traditional fatherhood has decreased. And the main reason for this phenomenon, in my opinion, is that in our society, the differences in gender role have become sources of competition rather than cooperation. Rather than recognizing the necessity of each gender's contribution to child raising, our society sees the two genders as competitive and prizes the feminine perspective in child raising while denigrating the masculine perspective. It has become socially acceptable for women to have children without the benefit of a father. In the competition for dominance between the genders, many young women have taken the position that the female role should win the competition, that is, that the female role is important and the male role is less necessary. And many women since the 1980s have decided to become pregnant and bear children without the cooperation of a father intentionally because these women, by and large, want to perform the traditionally male role of being in charge of their own family. These women have economic support systems other than husbands. They either have jobs of their own or a female-dominated extended family for support. And interestingly, these women are also convinced that the role of a hands-on mother is unnecessary in the life of a child. In their opinion, all a child really needs is a daycare worker of some description to, quote, watch, quote, them. That is to give the child a scheduled meal and to keep them from sticking their fingers in the electric socket. Infants lack the intellectual ability to protest about the type of upbringing that they are receiving in this environment. And as young children are pre-intellectual and largely dependent upon their emotions, they can do without the administration of a father because they have this emotional support of these single mothers. Eventually, however, these children reach the stage of development in which the less emotional and more objective participation of a father is needed. And it is at this point, somewhat too late for the children, that these young women often come to the realization that raising a child without a father is doing a disservice to the child. The design of God is that raising a child successfully requires the participation and the strengths of both genders. Mothers by nature are hormonally, emotionally, and subjectively biased in favor of their children. I talked about this at great length during my Mother's Day sermon, and mothers have the oxytocin response that leads them to guard and protect their children's feeling against all aggressors. Fathers, however, have the responsibility to objectively evaluate their children and to override the instinctive bias of the mother when necessary to tell their children when they are wrong and demand that their children do that which is right, whether or not it hurts their feelings to do so. Interestingly, God denotes this more objective role as the leadership role. 
in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24, which says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. God's design places fathers in charge of the family and gives fathers the responsibility to override mothers, to be approving, but also to be appropriately disappointed in their children, and to give children both enthusiastic endorsement and thoughtful approval when each is needed. God tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, the training and admonition of the Lord includes the disappointment and discipline of which I just spoke, and not provoking your children to wrath means to give your children space to repent. Fathers have to have conditional affection. They must withhold affection from their child when it is appropriate and then restore their affection to the child when their child repents and makes restitution for his or her wrongdoing, which will keep the child from being provoked to wrath. The child feels wrath toward his father if he feels that there's nothing that he can do to get his father's approval. But if the child knows that he can gain his father's affection by repentance, the child will learn to repent and develop respect for his father rather than wrath. Every child needs a parent that will be disappointed in him and will chastise him when appropriate. This assertion is based upon Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every child sins. Every child needs discipline leading to repentance. The definition of a spoiled child is one that does not have a parent that will be disappointed in them, but whose parents take up for him in virtually all circumstances. A spoiled child is one that never learns to fear the disappointment of his father, and as he grows to physical maturity, remains a brat that generally refuses to be contained until he runs into a strong disapproving substitute for a parent, which is generally the law. A fellow once told me that it takes about 12 years to discipline any child. You can do it from the ages of 2 to 14, or you can wait and do it from the age of 5 to 17, or you can skip it, and the police and the prison system will do it for you from the ages of 15 to 27. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11 tells us, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjective to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening may, uh, seems to be joyful for the, for, for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. And Hebrews 12 and 7 tells us that although mothers may chasten, chastening is predominantly the job of the father. And interestingly, although God recognizes the need for both masculine and feminine in child raising, God designates himself as our heavenly father. God is our creator. He is the one that gives us the word, the rule by which we are to live the life that he has given us. And it is interesting that the scripture never refers to our heavenly mother because there is not one. First Corinthians 11, 3, 9 through 10 says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. There is no heavenly mother because the woman is made by God specifically for men that live on earth. Nevertheless, men are not autonomous as first Corinthians 11, 11 and 12 tells us. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman but all things are from God. Now men are placed in the leadership role, but are not designated as independent from or superior to their wives as we all come from God. Ephesians tells wives to submit to their husbands, but then in Ephesians 5.25 tells husbands, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So let me repeat my initial point once again. A marriage is not a business arrangement of co-workers or co-owners. A marriage is the joining of two individuals, mind, body, soul, spirit, hopes, dreams, needs, personalities, and two very different genders into one entities. The two individuals are joined into a single entity because each individual has a different but necessary role in the development of the family. Fathers supply authority for the family and mothers supply emotional support for the families. Mothers respond to the authority of their husbands by submission and fathers respond to their wives' emotional support by giving them love. Both the masculine and feminine responses are needed to raise children and cement families. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 through 16 warns us to not be taken in by the adversary's divide and conquer doctrine as it says that we should no longer be children tossed for to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So effective parenting requires that each part, the masculine and the feminine, does its share. Fathers are not in charge because they are more valuable. Fathers are in charge because they have the objective focus required for leadership and the greater strength required for sacrifice. 
understand that part of being in charge is sacrifice. Jesus Christ is in charge of the church because he sacrificed himself on Calvary for it. Even so, each gender has an important role to play in marriage, in child raising, and in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20 explains, For the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Our text tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 6 through 9, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And as long and as strong as the bond is between a man and his parents, before a man can become a godly father, the parental bond must be replaced by the marital bond. The plan of God is although a mother might care about her son as much as humanly possible, the person with whom the son is, to be is supposed to become one is his wife, who is also the one that makes the man a father. In Genesis 2, 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Notice that God does not say that it might be fun for a man to have someone to be with. Nor does God say that he wants to increase the population and the creation of women would be the most efficient way to do this. God does not say that women deserve a chance to be created too, nor does God say that the man he created is not attractive enough and he wants to see someone prettier when he comes to the garden. But what God does say is that every man needs a companion, a helper, and that each man is to have his own helper. God says through the lips of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. It is not that men want women. Men need women. From a man's standpoint, marriage is a functional relationship. I clearly recall the funeral of my wife's paternal grandmother who had been married to her paternal grandfather for over 60 years. The grandfather told a story of working at a coal mine in a town in which there were no single women and how he and the other single miners advertised another town for wives. Women came from these time, towns and the miners married them when they arrived without any courtship other than the receipt of the letters that the men sent asking them to come. The men wanted wives 
and the women wanted husbands. And in those times, men and women agreed on the roles that husbands and wives were supposed to play, and each did their part with such success that in the case of my wife's grandparents, they stayed married to one another and devoted to one another for 60 years. A psychologist commissioned a survey of married men to find out what they most feared in a relationship with a woman. The responses were rejection, abandonment, to fail in her eyes, that I won't be able to keep her happy, that she'll never be satisfied. Being dumped and have my children taken from me, away from me on a whim, if she feels like it. That she will take me for granted instead of taking care of me. That she will constantly put me down and disrespect me that she will criticize me to make me over in her image of a man or husband, that I will slip away as not being important in her life, that I will lose her physical and emotional closeness and intimacy, warmth and sex, that she will become cold, aloof, and unfaithful, that she will not support or respect me, and she will be unable to forgive and forget that I will not be able to take care of her needs in the way that she wants, that I'm not valued in any, other, in any way other than fulfilling her needs as she has them. The changes women go through when going from girlfriend to wife to mother because with each phase they care less and less about their man and more and more about themselves and their children withholding sex for control being open and vulnerable with her, and then having her use it against me or paraded in front of her friends and mother when she's mad. Men's worries about their wives distill down into one main concept, and that is loss. Men fear losing their woman's love, goodwill, loyalty, affection, respect, and value, and their fear of loss is all very personal and not at all related to housework or physical beauty. Men marry women in order to have someone to provide the type of emotional support that mother previously provided. It is not good for a man to be alone, and men most fear losing a loving, supported relationship with the one woman out of all the possibilities available that they have chosen to be their helper. So... Now you know what dad wants and needs more than anything else for Father's Day. Dad wants and needs the commitment, companionship, and approval of his wife. Dad needs his wife to keep her vow to love, to honor, and to cherish. Dad is a simple creature and dependent upon mom for acceptance, approval, and affection. When get dad gets these from mom, all is well in the world. The Bible records that when Jesus was contemplating his sacrifice on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had no earthly companionship. The Bible says that Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to stay awake and pray with him. Jesus went into the garden to pray three times, and each time he returned, his apostles were asleep. Mark chapter 14, verse 35 through 41 tells us, Jesus went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, 
All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then Jesus came and found Peter, James, and John sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, Jesus went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, Jesus found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then Jesus came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. And behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. But Luke adds one detail that Mark omits. In Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42, which says, And Jesus was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In verse 43 of Luke 23, 22 then tells us then an angel appeared to him from heaven strengthening him Jesus had disciples but he did not have a wife to be one with him so God sent an angel from heaven to strengthen Jesus because it is not good for a man to be alone especially in his time of trial but just as Jesus's job was to sacrifice himself for mankind it is the father's job to sacrifice himself by raising his children and take care of taking care of his family. And just as Jesus needed an angel to strengthen him in Gethsemane, we fathers need our wives to strengthen us with acceptance, approval, and affection as we travel together through the trials and tribulations of life. So as we go down from this place on this Father's Day, let us all cherish rather than disdain the role of a father and let us encourage and strengthen the men that have taken on this responsibility. Wives, help your husband to become good fathers, not by nagging, but by remembering your marital commitment to your husband and the admonition of Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, which says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for the system that you have put together to bring children into the world and to give us a peaceful life even as we grow to maturity. We thank you, Lord, for that which you have done in creating the gender roles and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us today to treasure the role of a father. Those of us that have the responsibility to perform that role, we ask you that you would give us strength. And those that have the responsibility to support the men in that role, we ask you, Lord, that you would give them the loving, emotional support that they need, that our families might, might be strong, and that we might not be conformed to the world, but that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that in the house today. And we ask that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place 
and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.